You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 174, Jesus and Leadership Development, or How Did Jesus Develop Leaders? Before we get into it, I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, New Testament Snapshots. New Testament Snapshots examines the lives of some of the lesser-known characters in the New Testament. Sure, you've probably heard some of these names. Thomas, uh, Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, that one of those other Marys, um, John Mark, and so many others. But really, what do we know about these people? Because there's really not a lot of of material in the New Testament. So we're going to examine what the New Testament does say about some of these amazing uh, support characters that we see in the New Testament. But we're also going to look at documents that are even outside the New Testament. What did the church fathers have to say, as well as some other documents? I think that you'll find this is a fascinating, easy-to-read, and very informative study. Each chapter is uh, designed for you to uh, not just increase your knowledge, but to help you get into the Bible and maybe uh, learn how to ask questions that you've never asked before as you read the Scriptures. So, New Testament snapshots, check it out. We're back and we're looking at Jesus and leadership development or His method for developing leaders. You know, when Jesus started his, his, His... uh, public ministry, he handpicked a group of men to follow him, and most people are no, most people know that most people know that Jesus picked the twelve disciples, but or the twelve apostles they they came to be known. But really, there were many more than that. There were there were many other people who would consider themselves disciples of Jesus that were maybe not that that inner circle, but they were also disciples as well. And it, it, the twelve, the, the ones who became the apostles, were pulled from that much larger group, and they became the key leaders in carrying Jesus' message to the world after he was gone. And Jesus trained his followers in a very specific and a very methodical way. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're coming to save the world and you know you've only got three years to, to, to raise up your successors, um, you're probably going to have a method, and Jesus did. He was very methodical in the way that he trained his followers. The first thing that Jesus did in training the, the twelve, and as well as the others, was he allowed them to observe him at work. 
they they followed Jesus around. They were disciples. They were followers. So they were with him all the time. And they saw him do so many things. They were with him as he taught and as he performed miracles. There were occasions after Jesus would uh, teach the crowd that the disciples didn't understand maybe what he was talking about. And they would come and Jesus would give clarification. He would explain the parables. He would, he would break it down and dissect what he had just taught the crowd um, to make sure that his closest followers understood that particular parable or teaching. Now, because Jesus' followers were going to be expected to do the same kinds of works that he did, he let them uh, watch him perform many different types of miracles, including healings and even raising the dead. On almost every occasion where Jesus did some kind of miraculous sign, he had his followers with him when he performed those signs. In some instances, he even allowed his disciples to participate in the miracle. Think about the two miraculous feedings. In one case, he fed over 5,000 people, and another time he fed over 4,000 people. And he did this with very meager uh, resources. In the the famous story of the 5,000 people, over 5,000 that Jesus fed, we know that there was uh, uh, five loaves and two fish that the disciples had probably uh, stolen, um, not really, but they, they had taken from, from a young boy in the crowd and Jesus multiplied those five loaves of bread and two fish and fed multiple thousands of people. But the disciples were part of the miracle. In, in Mark 6.41, the food was multiplied as Jesus gave it to the disciples and as they distributed it. And we see um, in in. in Mark 5, where Jesus raised a little girl from the dead, he didn't even allow all the disciples to come. He only allowed Peter, James, and John, as well as the girl's parents, to come into the room where the little girl was laying dead, and he he raised her from the dead. And what's fascinating about that is later on in the book of Acts, you see the apostle Peter perform a very similar type of miracle because Jesus had modeled it for him. So the first way Jesus trained his disciples was he let them observe him at work. The second way that Jesus trained his disciples was that after they had been with him for a while, after they had been observing him, after they had been even participating with him in the miracles and teaching, he sent them out on short ministry trips. These trips were great opportunities for the disciples to get real ministry experience while spreading the message of the gospel. And after these trips, the disciples would come back to Jesus. They would spend time together and have a debrief. They would tell Jesus what they did. I'm sure there would be times of questions and answers and discussing um, all the things that they did on those ministry trips. And this would allow Jesus to give them further training. If they would say, well, Jesus, we, in one case, there was a boy who was possessed with an evil spirit. And on other occasions, they had cast out evil spirits because Jesus has, has given us all that authority. But on one particular occasion, the disciples were unable to do it. And Jesus used it as a, as a teaching moment, um, basically rebuking them for their lack of faith, but also telling them that this one would only come out by prayer. So he he took where they were at and then added more training. 
And this this idea of sending the disciples out is seen um, specifically, we'll say, in Luke's gospel. Um, I believe it's Luke 10. Uh, Jesus sent out a large group of 70 or 72, depending on the translation there, uh, of his followers out on a ministry trip. And they were paired up and sent to some of the villages and cities that Jesus was planning on visiting. When they returned from their trip, they were, were very happy to report to Jesus that they had been able to cast out evil spirits and heal people just like Jesus. And Jesus used this as a teaching point to stress what was really important. Don't rejoice because the evil spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are registered as citizens of heaven. So we've, we've seen two things. We've seen that Jesus let his disciples uh, observe him at work, and, and included in that is also participating um, under his direction. And then the second one is Jesus sent his followers out on short-term trips so that they could begin practicing and doing the things that he wanted them to do. But the last way that Jesus trained his followers was that when Jesus went away, he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. When Jesus left the earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and indwell his people. This was a new thing. God had never lived in his people before. And um, up until that point, you know, the, the, the Holy of Holies was in the temple and the presence of God resided there. And then, of course, when Jesus came to the, on, on the scene, we know that the presence of God abided and, and was in Jesus. Um, but then when Jesus went back into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would lead his followers into all truth and would continue to teach them. This began to take place in the early church as Christ followers attempted to do the same kinds of things that they had seen Jesus do. Of course, there was trial and error. There always is. But the early Christians prayed for guidance, stepped out in faith, and the Holy Spirit directed their steps, often with uh, a supernatural burst of power that resulted in miracles. One example of this, um, of this divine guidance was in Acts 15. In Acts 15, the, the church faced a major decision, one of the biggest decisions in the history of the church. Um, even to this day, one of the biggest decisions the church ever had to deal with. It was a, a decision that would affect every succeeding generation of Christians. It involved whether or not those who were non-Jews, the Gentiles, should have to be circumcised and required to obey the Jewish law to be considered Christians. I mean, after all, Jesus was a Jew, and so um, the and he was the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies. So there was a, a question in many of the Jewish Christians' minds that uh, this understanding that that uh, Christianity was the natural extension of Judaism. So, so should non-Jews be required to convert to Judaism as they became a Christian? And after some spirited debate, after this was discussed at the first big church council, it was decided not to make it difficult on the non-Jews who were turning to Christ. They were not required to keep the entire law, and salvation by faith became the understood way for people to become followers of Christ. James, the, the brother of Jesus, who was one of the primary leaders in the early church at this time, wrote a letter to the non-Jews explaining the decision. The, the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, were, were only asked to avoid sexual immorality, idolatry, 
and they were asked to observe a few minor dietary laws or dietary restrictions so that they could maintain fellowship with the Jews. But listen to what James says in the letter. This is in, in Acts 15. He said, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to place an unnecessary burden on those who are turning to Christ. There was this conscious sense that those early church leaders were, were acting in concert or acting in, in unity with God's plan. Thankfully, those who follow Christ still have access to the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. The church, however, is led by people. And the pattern that Jesus left us was a spirit-filled, spirit-equipped group of people who continue to learn from their leaders, from each other, and from the Holy Spirit. So, just a quick recap. Jesus developed leaders while he was here on earth by letting them watch him work, and included in that was also letting them participate in what he was doing. And then he began to send them out. He began to give them opportunities, and that's what continued into the the early church. But the third one was this. It was that God sent his Holy Spirit, Jesus sent his Spirit to live inside of his followers to do the same kinds of things that he did. Well, now it's your turn. I'd love to hear from you. What else? What, what do you think um, maybe we're missing here? How else did Jesus develop leaders? Um, how, what, what, what jumps out at you as far as the way that Jesus took 12 ordinary men and turned them into world changers? Let me know what you think. Go to davidspell.com. Leave me a question or comment in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single issue. Um, Plus, you'll also get my free subscribers-only newsletter that I send out once a month. Well, friends, thanks for being with me as always. And let's keep learning from the Master himself. Let's keep developing leaders.